The following is a hoop bowl presentation. Plays it into Trey. Two seconds wide. Trey Slaughter. Welcome back to Hoop Ball Hawks, the show here on the Hoop Ball Network that is taking flight, where we cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm recording this on Thursday, June 24th, the day after the Hawks go up to Milwaukee and take game one, 116-113, Walk in your trap and take over your trap. But 24 hours is over and it's on to game two. I will talk over some of the good and bad from game one and what to look for in game two tomorrow night in Milwaukee after this plug for my bookie. If you like losing money, turn this off right now. But if you love free band, free bands, just like Super Future, then keep listening. Sports betting is getting huge across the nation, and all of my homies love to bet on games. There are a bunch of sites out there for sports betting, but all of my homies love my bookie. Why? Because it's so easy to use. And since y'all my homies too, I'm going to plug you. All my homies listening right now can sign up for my bookie with the promo code HOOPBALL to unlock a 100% Deposit match bonus. 100%. Just like an A-plus in school. Hopefully you got them, but if not, this your chance to get 100%. You like playing blackjack? There are some very fun and free blackjack tournaments, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much that you can do on my bookie, and the best thing is, is that no cash is required to enter, and you can win up to $100 in daily challenges and up to $1,000 in weekly tournaments. So you want a chance at free cash money? Then again, my homies, sign up with the promo code HOOPBALL to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus and try to score some in the words of future, like I said earlier, free band, free band. All right, and we are back. First, I apologize that this is not right after game one. I have a ton going on this week, but you guys already know. I always make time for you listeners. And what a game game one was. I will say again, game ones in a playoff series in the NBA is all about who plays harder, hustles more, and executes more, and the Hawks did that game one, edging out the Bucks on the road for the third straight game one road victory for the Hawks this postseason and accomplishing the first ever conference finals win in Atlanta Hawks franchise history. So hats off to the Hawks winning game one. They at least tilt the odds in their favor as far as home court advantage. That is just excellent going up 
in the Milwaukee and getting that win yesterday evening. And it was just great to watch, especially Ice Trade a Game. Ice Trade a Game. Trey Young was out leading this Hawks team undoubtedly with this play last night as he was playing NBA Street on Fools last night with shimmies behind the three-point line and then draining the shot. Alley-oop passes off the backboard to John Collins on some game-breaker type stuff. Fake passes behind the back, blowing past defenders and hitting that patented floater, as well as sick, sick crossovers as he was scoring all over the court. He was a sick, sicko, sick man last night as Trey Young would have a playoff career-high 48 points on 50% shooting from the floor, which, according to Hawks PR, his 48 points was the second highest point scored in a game in Hawks history behind the great Dominique Wilkins, who scored 50 back on April 19th, 1986. Trey Young knocked down four three-pointers last night, was 10 of 12 from the free throw line, and 11 dimes, seven rebounds, and... Outside of his six turnovers and his three-point shooting percentage, which was, I mean, three-point shooting percentage was bad for both teams yesterday. So I'm not even harping on that for real. Trey Young was nothing short of spectacular last night. He was in control of the pace of the game, setting up others, and he was basically unguardable the entire game. I expect, and you should too, Milwaukee to try to do some things differently Going forward with their defensive coverage, trying to confuse Trey Young, jump in his passing lanes, force the ball out of his hands, put pressure on him. And it was evident yesterday that they had no answer for him. I'm sure they're going to try to find something to limit him, but we're going to have to continue to get production out of Trey Young no matter what Milwaukee does. And we're going to have to get continued production out of the X factor that I said was going to be key if the Hawks were wanting to move on to the NBA Finals in this series, John Collins, who in the regular season averaged almost 24-12 and 12 against the Bucks in regular season contests and was close to those numbers in Game 1, scoring 23 points on 11-16 shooting, grabbed 15 rebounds last night. He continues to have success against this Milwaukee team this year. He will need to continue to get some... We need to continue to get great production out of John Collins in order to win this series. He only had three personal fouls last night, which was the stat I always watch for John Collins. If we he can stay out of foul trouble and be available for this team, it is just great because he can play in long stints. And in game one, John Collins played 37 minutes. Terrific. Terrific. Now, as I said, he only had three personal fouls, and there weren't a, a ton of fouls called in the game in general for both teams in game one. But the more available John Collins is, the better the chances are for the Hawks to win that game, potentially move on to the NBA Finals. Clint Capella is in the same boat. He played 38 minutes last night, scored 12 points, grabbed a playoff career high, 19 rebounds, and only committed one foul in game one. Like I said before, if we can limit the fouls from our bigs on this roster, John Collins, 
Clint Capella, or Yeka Okongwu, it will go a long way in helping the Hawks win this series. Kevin Herter, although not super efficient last night, added 13 points, had the highest plus-minus on the team at plus 15, and he continues to contribute. Gallinari had nine points off the bench. Now, Bogdan Bogdanovich, he's not healthy. That knee is clearly bothering him. He doesn't have the same lift on his shot. Uh, he was over yesterday. I want to say, let me go back in the stats real quick. Uh, no, he had four points. He was one for six from the field, but over two from three and played 27 minutes still. But that's something that we're going to have to continue to monitor throughout this series is the health of Bogey because when he can get it going, obviously it helps them offensively because he can create for others and obviously knock down shots and get his own shot no matter who is guarding him. So hopefully he can get healthy. But again, game one, just like I said in previous games throughout the playoffs this year, Hawks doesn't have to play their best ball and still have an opportunities to win games. This was not the best team performance by any stretch or form, but two strong individual performances in John Collins and Trey Young and solid defense by the Hawks really helped them get this win yesterday. And again, the Hawks have been proving people in the national landscape as far as the NBA and the media wrong the entire postseason when you don't have an opportunity to watch a team I mean, you're, you're not going to have a lot of knowledge about them. So they were virtually an unknown for a lot of people. They just obviously thought about what the Hawks have been. But the Hawks are a completely different team than what people have been perceiving them to be coming into the playoffs. And game one, again, they proved to people that this Hawks team, because of what's, I'm talking about heart, grit, sheer will, hustle, they can beat any team any night and not have their best performance. But you can count on the Milwaukee Bucks to make adjustments, especially defensively to try to limit Trey Young and give better efforts on a glass for them because they lost the rebounding margin, which was a stat that was mind-boggling after game one. The fact that the Hawks won the rebound margin 51-45. to And again, that's a product of hustle, determination, competing, and the Hawks' bigs staying out of foul trouble, which, as I said before, will continue to be a huge key and a stat that I will monitor as we go through the series. If they can stay under eight to nine fouls between Okongwu, Capella, and Collins, it bodes well for the Atlanta Hawks. 13 turnovers last night for the Hawks to eight for Milwaukee. We need to continue to try to limit our turnovers as it will get the Hawks in trouble, especially against a, a team that's really good on a defensive end like the Milwaukee Bucks. And if you're going to give the Milwaukee Bucks fast break opportunities, which they won that stat last night, the Hawks don't have a chance to get back and get set on defense. Easy buckets for Giannis, Middleton, Holiday, whoever jumping in the pass lane, passing lanes and getting to the cup is just going to just give them Easy buckets, and we cannot afford that, especially on the road. The Hawks shot 25% from the three-point line yesterday, which was bad, just bad. But Milwaukee was worse, shooting 22%. So 
we win that one. But three-point shooting will be crucial in this series for both of the teams. Hawks must knock down their open threes. And if it's a contested three, make the extra pass and try to find opportunities for other people to score. Another stat that I look to is team assist. Only 19 team assists last night in a win. Glad it's a win, but I would like for that number as far as team assists to be in the mid-20s if you are a Hawks supporter. Now, I'm going to flip the gears and talk about the series as a whole. And I tweeted this out on Twitter, so definitely hit me up after I talk about this. Or if you go on Twitter and look at the tweet, it is pinned at the top of my profile as far as keys going forward in this series. And if I missed anything or you had any, have any thoughts about it, hit me up on Twitter at Brad Jarrett67. That is Brad J-A-R-R-E-T-T-6-7. And this list is in no particular order of importance. And I think all of these things are going to be important going forward or to monitor, especially if you want to see the Hawks make it to the NBA Finals. Number one, continue to win the hustle game. You hear Nate McMillan talk about it and emphasizes in the huddle when he's mic'd up on the broadcast and he's talked about it every single series up to this point. The Hawks have been the quote unquote underdog in every series this postseason. You're going to to have to outwork the other team. If you're the underdog, no matter if you no matter the fact that they won game 1 or not, to be the superior team, you have to outwork them in all facets. Boxing out, defending without fouling, getting to loose balls, jumping and passing lanes, anything that you can do as far from a effort standpoint, you're going to have to do it to win out. They have to continue to do that in order to Give them a chance to move on to the finals. And Nate Millen has harped on it. I foresee it still being an emphasis going forward. I foresee the Hawks still taking that to heart and executing on that front. So continue to win the hustle game. Number two, team rebounding. As I said before, Hawks won the rebounding margin in game one, which is a surprise to me and a lot of people, especially because, well, this this happened because our bigs stayed out of foul trouble. I'm going to continue to bring that up and still monitor that. And all you heard leading up into the series is the size of Milwaukee being a problem. And yes, there's certainly going to be a problem, especially when you have Giannis and you have Lopez, who was terrible in game one, and I'm going to talk about him shortly. You have Portis. You have Holiday, who's a really good rebounding guard who averages – Average five and a half rebounds per game as a guard this year. You have P.J. Tucker who likes to get on the glass and he's really physical and tough. You have Middleton who likes to hit the glass. Everybody on this Milwaukee team hits the glass. So the Hawks must have that same urgency on their end. And in game one, out of the 51 total rebounds from the Hawks, 34 of them were from Capella and Collins. 34 of the 51 rebounds from Capella in Collins last night. And on the offensive glass, the Hawks had 12 offensive rebounds. Nine of the 12 were between Collins and Capella. So great efforts on the glass by those two. Competing, boxing out, but it has to be everybody on the team doing it. It can't just be those two. Everyone must crash the glass on both ends of the floor. Offensively, defensively. Defensively, 
put a body on someone. You don't want to give Milwaukee second chance opportunities. You must limit that. Offensively, crash the glass. If it's going to be a missed shot, give the give yourself a second opportunity if you're a Hawks. I mean, it only is going to you know help the offense. If you can get a rebound, kick it out to a three-point shooter, the best time for a three-point make, as they say in basketball, is on a second chance opportunity. So the Hawks must continue to make that a point of emphasis throughout the series because I'm sure Lopez, who had a terrible game on the glass, will certainly make that more of a conscious effort as far as game two. And that's something that I will be watching. But as I said, I will be talking about Lopez and a few of the other auxiliary players for the Milwaukee Bucks here shortly. Number three, turnovers, which I already discussed. Must take care of the ball against a good defensive team. Yes, I am still labeling the Milwaukee Bucks as a good defensive team. I don't care about what Trey did. They can still bounce back. I don't care what Brooklyn did in time and at times last series. Hell, you guys remember when Clint Capella got baptized by Miles Bridges and it was plastered all over social media and ESPN and whatnot? Clint Capella bounced back and is still considered a top 10 defensive player in his league. So certainly a team who takes pride on defensive end will certainly have an opportunity or at least have the fortitude to come back in game two and rewrite that narrative and put a better effort on the defensive side of the ball. So continue to take care of the ball, continue to limit turnovers. We lost the turnover margin in game one. I would like to see that stat remain consistent as far as staying under 14, 13 turnovers in the game. Dream case scenario, again, really good defensive team in Milwaukee, but I would like to keep that number as low as possible. Number four, I already talked about three-point shooting. Last night, Trey Young knocked down four three-pointers last night for the Hawks. That's great. Four threes from Ice Trey, great. But he missed nine three-pointers last night. No one else on the team made more than two three-pointers. Sorry, made more than one three-pointer last night. John Collins had one, which was a huge, obviously huge, another clutch corner three. It was it, He loves that corner three. I, again, the one three he made was very, very impactful in the game. But he was one of five from the three-point line. And we're going to need more from him and the rest of the team from the three-point line. Kevin Herter was one of six yesterday, missing five three-pointers, if you can do the math. Bogey was 0 for 2 from the three-point line. Gallo was 1 for 3. Lou Will was 100% from the three-point line, but he only tipped at 1, 1 of 1. So three-point shooting is going to be a key in this series. Hawks have to shoot better from the three-point arc. Number five. I talked about this player multiple times this uh, podcast already, but consistent production from John Collins. As I said in the episode before, he's the X factor in this series. In game one, he proved it. But he's known to have great games. And then the next game, so every other game, it seems like he has a really good game. I'm very interested to see how he plays game two, what adjustments Milwaukee will make on him. And again, John Collins has had really good games against Milwaukee this season, and his confidence should be high. We want him to keep that same energy. 
but I would like for him to be consistent. Be consistent as as far as production on the offensive end. Continue to get your shots. Be aggressive. He had 16 shots yesterday. If we can continue to give him 12 to 13 shots on a minimum, I like the Hawks' chances. As I said, he will be huge in this series. Number six, we all know this. Giannis is Giannis. We can send him to the free throw line, do the hack of Giannis, limit him in that regard. And yesterday he was six of eight from the free throw line, which is way higher than his season average and his career average from the free throw line. So, but still, you can't bank on that every game. But what you can bank on is him putting up points, grabbing rebounds, getting other people involved, being a force in the defensive end. Game one, he had 34 points, 12 rebounds, nine assists, two steals, two blocks. Again, Giannis is Giannis. He's virtually unstoppable at times, especially getting to the cup. Now, like I said, him going on an offensive tear, it's terrifying in perspective, but it isn't truly terrifying as far as impact on the game because of his lack of a consistent jump shot. And dunks are energy plays, especially at home. If you can get a monster dunk, that's going to get the crowd into it. You're going to excite your teammates, give that little spark. But in the end, a dunk is only two points. However, the other two players, as far as the big three for the Milwaukee Bucks, Middleton and Holiday, the Hawks must not allow both of them to go off. You can allow one of them to, but you cannot allow both of them to go off in the same game. Holiday had his best playoff game probably ever offensively. 33 points on 14 of 25 shooting, 5 of 12 from the three-point line, 10 assists. He was killing the Hawks in stretches in game one. But he did that. Giannis did that. And then you go back to Middleton, the sharpshooter, one of the most underrated players in the league, in my opinion. Middleton only had 15 points. On 6 of 23 shooting, he was 0 for 9 from the three-point line. Middleton is known to have good games and bad games. He can be streaky as well as far as like John Collins. And I expect him to probably play a lot better in game two. If I'm a betting man, which I'm not, I expect him to play a lot better in game two. But again, you cannot allow both of them to go off at the same time in the same game. You can't. You can live with two of those three being effective, as we can see in game one, because we know Milwaukee's bench is not the best, especially when you have DiVincenzo out for the playoffs. It's not the best bench when you look at it. So it's obviously going to put more pressure on those big three to contribute. Like I said, you can have one go off, try to limit the other. And if you can have both Middleton and Middleton, sorry, Holiday and Middleton, not being effective in the game offensively. Obviously, that's going to boost the chances of the Hawks winning the game. So that is going to be a key going forward. Giannis is going to be Giannis. If we can limit him in some way, that's great. But we got to stop Holiday and Middleton, preferably both in the same game. But if you're going to get hurt by one of them, that's fine. As long as the other one is not going off as well. Number seven. And I'm going to... Talk about pretty much all the other auxiliary players for the Bucks, but a guy that I said was going to be the X factor for the Milwaukee Bucks, you have to continue to make Lopez ineffective. He had an awful game one. Brooke Lopez was terrible 
in game one for the Milwaukee Bucks. And he killed the Hawks during the regular season. He was extremely effective shooting the ball, getting rebounds, scoring in the paint, getting offensive rebounds, I mean, putbacks. It doesn't matter. He was very, very effective in the regular season. He was not in game one, and he is someone we have to limit. As I said, he was hardly even rebounding the ball last night. He had two rebounds the entire game, and he played 20 minutes. So two rebounds in 20 minutes when you're a seven-footer. You know, if you're Bud, unacceptable! If you're the Hawks, we'll take it every damn time. And he was one of four from the three-point line. We know he can stretch the floor. And he was just bad for the for the Bucks. Just bad. He had the worst plus-minus on the team yesterday, only scoring seven points. And as I said, because of his size, his rebounding ability, his ability to stretch the floor, I said that he was going to be the X factor for the Bucks because he was extremely effective against the Hawks in the regular season. Hawks must continue to limit him because, as I said, he can do some damage, especially when he gets it going behind the three-point line. We need to keep Bobby Portis in check, too, which I'm going to go out and say this now. Bobby Portis, that, that, that foul on Trey Young in the second quarter was dirty. I don't care what anybody else says. If you're a Bucks supporter and you hear this, I didn't think that that was... I, I thought that there was something else there, but neither here nor there. Bobby Portis did have a good game in game one. He had 11 points, eight rebounds. We must continue to be physical on him as we know that he is a physical guy himself. Uh, match that energy with him and um, return the favor at some point. Somebody be an enforcer on Bobby Portis. Um, Connington was bad for the Bucks too, especially that air ball at the end when the Hawks, I mean, sorry, when the Bucks were trying to get an opportunity to make a big shot down the stretch. He was not great. But here's a player for the Bucks that I would keep an eye out for. He didn't have a great game one, but he's a guy that can do some damage. Brent Forbes off the bench. Excellent three-point shooter. He had the highest plus or minus on the team for the Bucks. I expect him to get a little bit more minutes and make an impact in a game or two this series because he can knock down shots, especially the three ball. And just like Seth Curry did last series, and I'm not saying he's going to have a Seth Curry game or impact, but he has the ability to knock down jump shots and knock down threes and knock down a lot of them when he gets hot, just like a Seth Curry. So the Hawks bench must be on Forbes. They must stay attached to him because he can do some damage and provide a spark off the bench, especially at home. So Brent Forbes is someone I'm going to be looking at, and as well as obviously seeing how Brooke Lopez responds in the next game. Number eight, speaking of the Hawks bench, we must win bench points. We got outscored in game one, but the production from Trey Young and John Collins helped offset the lack of points off the bench for the Atlanta Hawks, but we're certainly going to need to get more out of our bench, in particular, Lou Will and Gallo as our primary scorers off the bench. And I'm curious as to when or if Cam Reddish just rolled out in this series. Now that he's available, that's something else to monitor. But whoever is coming off the bench, Gallo, Okongu, Solomon Hill, Lou Will, whoever is getting in the game, Tony Snell. Uh, and as I said, Reddish, depending on obviously if he really will be rolled out this series, they're going to have to come in and be ready 
and try to outperform the Milwaukee Bucks bench. I don't think the Bucks have a better bench than us. I know they don't have a better bench than us. We must prove that time after time. And we should, I expect us to be um, more productive as far as from bench play. So that's something I'm going to be looking at uh, going forward. And last but certainly not least, the hero from Game 7, Kevin Herter. We need him to continue to be consistent, especially if Bogey's not going to be himself this series. Herter will have to score at least 13 points in every game to help out the Hawks offensively. He had 13 points in Game 1, so that's great. And he was very positive on the court with a really great plus-minus. He wasn't efficient as far as shooting the ball, but he's going to continue to get his looks offensively, and he has to capitalize. He had 12 shots in game one. That's great. I think he needs to get all those shots and those opportunities to get the ball behind the three-point line and try to knock down threes, get the ball in the mid-range game, penetrate, get to the basket, score at all three levels. That's what we need to see from Kevin Herter, no matter if he's coming off the bench or starting. We need to see him continue to be aggressive and continue to be consistent for this Hawks team going forward. I'm excited for game two tomorrow night. Game two tomorrow night on TNT at 8.30 Eastern time up in Milwaukee. So as I said before, I'm going to be curious to see what adjustments both teams make in game two in Milwaukee. I know down the stretch, they found something very effective in the pick and roll with Giannis last game. And that's something if you're Neyman Millen to probably monitor and figure out how to limit those opportunities from Giannis, because obviously it was, you know, free, free money at that point with his, uh, pick and rolls and, you know, beelining to the basket and those alley-oop opportunities. If you're Nate McMillan, are you going to, you know, talk in the referee's ears and talk about Chris Middleton's push-ups offensively? And Middleton, on, on in that same breath, we, can, we, we cannot expect him to have two bad games in a row. He's going to wake it up, turn it up. He's a great jump shooter, especially shooting the three, shooting the mid-range jumper. He's almost automatic at times for the mid-range game. We have to continue to make it tough on him defensively, getting his grill, challenge a shot. How will Milwaukee Bucks adjust as far as trying to limit Trey Young? These are questions and narratives and storylines that will be addressed tomorrow night. So I'm excited to watch the game tomorrow night. You should be too. And if you love what you heard today, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share it. Tell everybody about the hottest new podcast covering the Atlanta Hawks. Numbers do not lie. I cannot thank everybody enough for making the last episode the most listened to episode of Hoopball Hawks. Continue to spread the word. Continue to support the show. I'm going to continue to bring it, bring the energy, bring the analysis, bring the perspective every single episode. So tell your friends, Hawks fans, Atlanta sports fans, NBA fans, basketball fans, ceiling fans. It don't matter. Share this with everybody. Follow us at HoopBallHawks on Twitter. That is at HoopBallHawks. Follow myself again on Twitter, Brad Jarrett67. That is Brad J A R R E T T 67. Sheesh! Game two, baby, tomorrow night.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.